Hello and welcome to Can't Find My Way Home, the podcast where expats from around the globe talk about the music and art scene in their adopted home. I'm your host, Craig. In this first episode of Can't Find My Way Home, I spoke with David Tizard. We had a link up between his home in Seoul, South Korea, where he's been a long-term resident, and me here in Dortmund, Germany. For the next hour or so, we talked about his early musical adventures and how he made his way to South Korea from the south of England. Then we delve into his current musical project, Tampa's Dusk. We'll also hear a couple of numbers from the band. There's lots more in between. So, without further ado, David Tizard. Dave, thanks for taking the time to join us. Absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you for having me. I know we have a bit of a time difference, so I hope I'm not keeping you from any other uh, important household chores you've got going on. <laughs> You're keeping me from a lot of things, but for this, absolutely worth it. Sorry Excellent. for making you wake up and doing it. Oh yeah, it's all right. It's nearly lunchtime here, so we're doing we're doing just fine. Excellent, Dave. You're a man of many uh, uh, musical adventures in in your adopted home of South Korea. Can you tell us how it all came about? How did you how did you end up where you are today? Well, I guess like perhaps many people, I was I finished a university degree in the south of England at Portsmouth University. Did English and creative arts, where I did a lot of creative writing, a lot of film, a lot of theatre, a lot of really interesting and fun projects, but not something that necessarily lent itself towards getting a high-paying job immediately upon graduation. After that, well, while I was there, and one year after graduating in Portsmouth, I spent uh, some time working at the Wedgwood Rooms. Wedgwood Rooms is a pretty popular venue in the south of England had a capacity has a capacity of about 450 but it was the kind of place where a lot of bands would go and play and warm up before they dig the big festivals like Reading and Leeds and Glastonbury so I, I was working there and I was seeing all these bands coming through and everything and half the time I didn't know who they were or what was going on I never forget one night and I was like the, the assistant bar manager and so like I would run it when the manager was off and do the schedules somebody came up to me and they said Hey man, next week, I, I want to have Wednesday off. I said, all right, what's, what's going on Wednesday? Because Frank Black is playing here. And I went, yeah, okay. I, I had no <laughs> idea who Frank Black was at the time. It just didn't, it didn't like click with me. I wasn't that musically knowledgeable at the time. But looking back on it, what I realized is that, you know, every night I was standing there watching these bands and getting exposure to all these different kinds of music, whether it was, you know, heavy metal or uh, folk, or punk or rock or literally everything. And so, so you had a, a I, quite a diverse range of musicians and styles coming through the, the venue. Yeah, it was just literally like every night would be different and it was fantastic. And, you know, it, it was great. And I really had a big effect on me, I, I think, looking forward, looking at all those uh, musical influences. But, you know, I realized I couldn't do that for forever. And I, I got itchy feet. You know, I needed to go and see the world and try and be somebody different or do something different. And so I essentially kind of just rolled a dice and said, I'll go over the other side of the world with my 
I've got a degree in English. And so, you know, looking around the papers, what you go and teach English, that, that made sense. And so I thought about the beaches of Thailand or something like that, but I thought that might be trouble and I might not last too long if I was there <laughs> as a young 24 year old boy, you know, and, uh, well, it does have certain Japan. hidden pleasures, or some are not so <laughs> hidden, but yes. Yeah, exactly. It would be very hedonistic had I gone there. And, uh, mm. you know, there were, there were lots of options, but somehow South Korea came about. I remember at university, I had a South Korean housemate and uh, I watched Old Boy. I'd watched the 2002 World Cup when I was at university, and that was great memories because that was up at 7am and in the pub to watch the football when it opened. And uh, so, yeah, it was from university to a, a year work in a music venue. And then I arrived in South Korea, in Seoul, November 2005. And I was, I was 25 years old. I had hair down past my shoulders, a beard, a tongue piercing, and I didn't immediately fit into the South Korean <laughs> society, it should be it, fair to say. It didn't take you long to realize that you're like, hmm, there's not many people like me looking uh, looking a bit like this. But that was kind of the appeal sometimes, you know, you, we spend a lot of time in the West trying to look different from everybody and then end up looking the same as everybody else, you know, everybody True. will dye their hair white to look like Eminem or get dread, but you end up looking like everybody else that's doing the same. So. You know, in South Korea, it was all of a sudden, well, now I actually am a little bit different all of a sudden. Taking it from there, David, how did you get into the, the music scene? Was it something that you, you know, you, you wanted to do when you, when you got there? Was this a, as well as the working and integrating and learning about all of the, you know, these cultural nuances of your new, right. your new home? How did you get set up in the, with a band and so on? Well, I'd, I'd not. Um, I'd played one acoustic show in England before I came to Korea. That was it. I played acoustic guitar uh, with a couple of friends and we did like uh, the monkeys and, and things like this. So I hadn't any musical experience apart from just watching it for so long. And when I came to South Korea, um, I realized that now I wanted to do something. You know, now was the time to, to start. Um, I began drinking in this bar in South Korea. It was called Sky Bar, and it was in Gwangamun, where we worked. Me and my friend, uh, Chris Truder, we would go there after work, and we would work 6.45 in the morning till 9 at night, like, right, right hard days, and working all the way through. And, and we were young, so we would drink hard in the evenings. And we found this bar. You have these bars, like, um, you could sit in there, I'm going to say, about 12 people maximum. And the lady would sit in the middle, and there'd sort of be three or four chairs in a, not a semicircle, but a three-quarter three quarters of a square going around her mm -hmm. and it was it was it was a private bar like some people would try to come in and there'd be seats but they'd just say no you go away and so we'd go in there and there'd be you know some old boys drinking hard in there and after a while they'd start passing around the guitar and uh they would start crying and singing and doing all these old folk songs and you know raising their glasses and they they took us two under their wing as kind of like weird white people that were allowed to come in <laughs> and uh they, they, you know, they eventually passed me the guitar and said, you know, you have a go. And then they didn't pass me the guitar much anymore. <laughs> they said, no, 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 no. You're not quite ready for it. So I knew I wanted to do something, but I knew I wasn't quite there yet. So uh, I, I was very much starting from scratch in, in South Korea. I had, to, I had to start all by myself. Back then in 2005, what was the kind of social media like? How did you get, how did you find your band members of that that next step you took? What was it? From from my memory, it was 
MySpace. Right. Yeah, my first band still has a MySpace, and but we can't access the music on it, and I'm right. gutted because we made this wonderful album. Um, so one of the first things I've done with all my bands is look for someone to sing because I, I can play guitar and I can write songs, but I'm not the best singer. Uh, it should be said. So I generally look for a, a frontman or a singer or somebody to work with, and I, I found this uh, guy uh, that I was working with who looked like Robert Plant, literally looked like Robert. He had the hair of it coming down here. Didn't have the voice. <laughs> didn't have the. <laughs> didn't have the moves. To be to be fair, not many do. <laughs> no, but he did have the confidence. He okay. had the look and the confidence, and and that was it. So you know, I I found someone that was willing to you know, sit down and write lyrics and, and, and sing over the top. And then we ended up going to this um, sort of open mic venue. It was called the Aussie Shop. It was run by a, uh, an Australian guy who would drum called Tony. Mm-hmm. And he would have all these kind of musicians come in there and, and jam and play. And so I went along there with my singer and started playing and started asking people, you know, who can play? What, what can we do? And so it was a case of going into venues and finding people. There was also, there were a couple of like underground internet zines. I'm trying to remember what it was called. I I think it might've been called Broken Career or something like that. Uh, I found a a bassist from New Zealand online. And uh, like when we started doing interviews later on, when we were doing radio and things like that, they'd interview us about our band. We were still very embarrassed to say that we'd met online. You know, it was kind of like this internet dating thing. It's like a really seedy. Yeah, man. It was like, no, so let's make up a story that we met like in a back alley and we were smashed. And I've met some musicians like that and we played with each other, but uh, it was very hard to find people. So it was kind of word of mouth going into bars and then, yeah, like the occasional zine. Yeah, a bit of trial and error. And sometimes it's just your luck. You might be in a bar one night and you find a like-minded soul as you said it might not be the mm-hmm. the from in my opinion anyway confidence is half the battle you know when you have someone who's yeah. who's willing to kind of give it a go and really get into it because you can always practice to to get your chops down to use a well-worn expression yeah and that was it and i also had the look you know like when i say i had the look but i had long hair and the beard and so people assumed that i was doing music or doing some kind of thing so people often approach even if i was young and you know, a little timid at times, but people would often approach me about it as well. So that you have the confidence. Yeah, we had so a little, that, that we, had, we had a little breakup in audio there. <laughs> okay. It's saying my internet connection is unstable there, isn't it? That's just my life in a nutshell there, isn't it? You know? <laughs> it's not just your internet connection that's unstable. No, <laughs> Saturday afternoon and it's given me all these subliminal messages, huh? But uh, yeah, what, was yeah, it, what was the next thing, David? Was it uh, what, what kind of music did you want to play? What were you into? What were you, even if we go back to what your influences were? I think you know, I I got into music quite late, and so I grew up like not in this huge music environment. Like we would go around uh, lending each other Metallica CDs and Offspring CDs and Therapy CDs, Foo Fighters. It was pretty mainstream, you know, it, it didn't really go deep. And so I had, you know, I grew up listening to a lot of Offspring, uh, Therapy, Foo Fighters, Metallica. It's pretty sort of standard rock, yeah. guitar-driven music, you know. Right. But I, I did spend a lot of time at university also going to raves, uh, like techno places and, and funky house things. I went for a lot of different things and I was 
always a big fan of music that made you dance. You know, I always liked, I was a young man. I liked dancing. I liked, I liked funky things. And so it was these kind of two styles. And my first band was very much that. It was kind of like uh, my first band over here that I did with the, um, uh, the Robert Plant lookalike. Uh, we were called the Decadent Gonads, and I do make up some of the worst band names. <laughs> <laughs> that was definitely one of them. We were called the Decadent Gonads, and uh, literally one song would be hard rock, and then the next song would be funk, and then the next song would be hard rock, and the next song would be sort of ska. But we were always going through that kind of thing. It was a bit like Sublime, but without the reggae or something like okay. that. So cool that's what we were doing and you know we had a great time we because we were young and i i look back now at some of the videos of the decadent gonads and you know i i might sort of shudder a little bit with the quality of the playing but then i realize you know we were writing and recording all these original songs and and that's something that stayed with me like we had we didn't play any covers oh we played a faith no more cover we played digging the grave uh love faith no more um but in general we Ever since the start, it was always about you've got to write your own songs and make your own sound. You know, that was always my goal in that. So, Was this something that you and your bandmates also shared? You know, this kind of ideology of literally doing it for yourself and playing the songs that you want to play? Yeah, I, I think so. And uh, a drummer that I played with in about four or five bands, uh, Ray, a New Zealand guy, built like a bulldog, you know, short and squat, and he, he hit that snare. Um he was he was all about that so he was he's a punk rocker okay. and so he always wanted he always wanted the songs to be two minutes and fast as you can right you know, i was a rock no old punks never die right <laughs> yeah he's no he's still not dead no but that there was a the good thing about bands sometimes is when you get people together and they have different influences right yeah if you get four metal heads together you know you're getting metal if you get four punks together you're getting punks it's when you get this mixture of people together so i wanted these kind of like eight minute long metallica songs he wanted two minute ramones songs and uh the robert plant guy wanted like uh sid barrett-esque things and so that's where music really gets interesting for me and so the punk drummer, he was all about doing it yourself. You know, this kind of underground thing. We don't need to give, don't need to give a damn what anybody thinks. We don't need to follow any certain standards, but we literally go our own way. And, and that really helped me, actually. That confidence and that, that attitude, rather than the music, the attitude of the punk genre, I, I thought was really invigorating, really uh, refreshing. To, to go along with yeah it's a bit like it's a bit like podcasting in this sense that it's well that there's a mainstream and there's an underground aspect to it but for so many people it's a way that they can express themselves that they couldn't do in any other mainstream formats or platforms yeah you do it yeah, for yourself yeah yeah absolutely so hopefully, hopefully that's what we're trying here so we'll say so, so, <laughs> so far so good yes mate. what about the next step david it's been uh that was 2005 so it's been some yeah. time and you said there was uh there was several bands that you were in in between there were you always the main protagonist the main songwriter or how, how did that transpire um in a lot of the bands i've been uh the main songwriter i'd say one of my partners in crime me and uh me and ray the, the punk rock punk rock drummer we started a, another project and um this this big like beast of a man from maryland america you know like six foot four and hands the size of my face you know he's a black belt in 
kick your ass jujitsu or whatever it's called. You know, he'd put you in an ankle lock and make you tap out. <laughs> he, <laughs> he would do that to me when I was drunk. He'd, he'd give me an ankle lock and say, tap out, man. And uh, he we ended up playing with him. Now, he'd seen the decadent gonads and uh, he'd arranged to play with Ray. And he walked into a studio one day and he said, ah, oh, goddamn, I just hope it's not that guy from the decadent gonads with that stupid hat. And he walked into the studio and there I was from the decadent gonads with this stupid Indiana Jones. <laughs> it was weird. He was like, oh man. And so, you know, we started as kind of uh, not on the best terms, but after that, we ended up playing together, me and him for about sort of 10 years, best man to each other's weddings and, uh, you know, like songwriting partners in crime. So the next kind of thing I got into, and I, I was really happy because he was a, he was a fantastic guitarist. I was, what, you know, like 28, 29 at the time, but he was already like 36, 37. He'd been around the block. He'd played in all the bands. He'd quit music. And then he decided he was going to start again. And ultimately what he let me do, even though he was a, he was a ripping guitarist, he still plays today. He's just been playing a festival in the States. I've seen he's in the middle age brigade, great name for a bunch of old boys in a band. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, he said, you play guitar. And I was like, so you're a ripping guitarist, but I have to play guitar. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You play guitar. And what he did, he got his guitar and he ran it through a, an, an octave pedal. Okay. So we, we were doing this kind of, what would it be? Um, uh, John Spencer blues explosion type thing where we had two guitars. Got well, like the cramps did two guitars. Yeah. So we had that, but he would just do the low end bass and he would just have two strings on his guitar, essentially just a low two strings. And he, he would crank that amp really loud, man. So like the bass was often louder than my guitar, you know, but it was just that rumble. <laughs> he would do that. And he, he just said to me, you play guitar. He would tell me uh, during the suicides chat, he would, he would say to me, you know, I learned a lot playing from him. He would say, you don't need pedals. Stop dancing about on this. You know, everything you need is in your hands. You turn up, you plug in and you let that rip, you know, and that kind of attitude I liked from him, you know, that was, he gave me a lot of confidence, even though I wasn't, you know, a great guitarist. I'd, I'd never really had lessons. I'd not really done anything. I was just sitting. And nowadays you can learn guitar like on YouTube and podcasts, right? You can go online and <laughs> just in guitars and all these crazy things, how to learn guitar. Back then, like I, I didn't have those things. And so I was just kind of sitting around myself trying to work it out what I wanted to do. But having that confidence, uh, being entrusted with being the guitar player in a three piece, in a three-piece, you've got nowhere to hide if you're the guitar player. No, it's definitely one of the more, uh, yeah, as you said, there's nowhere to hide. But on the, on the other hand, yeah. you, you get, you have less to share with everyone else, you know? So you get, in one way, you, you have no choice. You just have to kind of get yeah. on with it. But on the other hand, you get into it and it's, it's your stage. It's, it's there for it, you. When it comes together, yeah, it's the magic number, you know? Like, it, it really, you see why a lot of bands were three-pieces, you know, whether it's the... Hendrix experience or cream or things like that. But when that, when that three works, it's, it's a really powerful thing. So, you know, being entrusted in that by, by a seasoned musician being entrusted with that and uh, also being told not to worry too much about the technical side of it, you know, rock and roll is, you know, he was the influence that I got from Chad musically. He had a great, huge musical knowledge. One of the things I've realized is that you can never complete music. You know, like a computer game, you can complete a computer game. You can get to the end of a book. Yeah. You can finish a series of like Game of Thrones or The Wire or something like that. You can't complete music. There's always a band that you haven't heard. 
there's always an artist you didn't know about. Jeez, there's even a genre that's like totally new. He, he had a great musical knowledge, but a lot of it came from sort of 50s, 60s rave rock and roll. Okay. You know, where, where music was kind of a, where it was a rave, where the drums had to go and it, it was a, the Sonics were the first, but I had not heard the Sonics before I met him. Sonics were a fantastic band from uh, Tacoma, Washington, like kind of a 60s. They featured a lot on the uh, Nuggets compilation. They had great songs like Strict Nine and Psycho, The Witch. They did great covers of Louie Louie and things like this, but it was just the hardest sounding music I'd ever heard. Their album was called The Boom All right. because their drummer was called Bob The Boom Bennett. <laughs> and... The, the the drums on the Sonics were just, when Kurt Cobain was recording Nirvana, he was like, I want my drums to sound like the drums on the Sonics. It's just the best drum sound ever. Mission accomplished then there, I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he certainly That's did what, he what got. It did what it said in the tin with, with Nirvana. Would you say this was more like punk before punk as a, as a genre then? Yeah. It's difficult to put yeah, things Yeah, when you get that kind of proto-punk. Um, it, it, it is difficult. Like, the Stooges is one of the bands that are often called proto-punk. Um, yeah. The Sonics were just like, well, you know, was Chuck Berry punk? Because the Sonics were basically playing Chuck Berry songs standard, like blues that go one, four, five, you know? They go around this progression. It's just, it's not the what, it's the how, you know? It's the how you play this thing. It, it's not necessarily anything new, and that's not what the Sonics were doing, but they were just doing it differently. They were doing it louder, they were doing it faster than anyone else. And, you know, I, I'll listen to modern metal, and I'll go back and listen to the Sonics. Sonics still sounds heavier. They might not have eight guitar amplifiers and right. 500 <laughs> big muff rap pedals, you know, but it sounds harder because the way they're playing it. And uh, so it, it's, it's the how. And I think with the suicides, that band that we did, that second band I did with the three piece, you asked like, how did the songwriting go? Chad was the singer and we'd both write songs in that, you know, we'd, we'd both write songs and we'd both write riffs and we'd, you often need someone to finish your songs. You know, when you're writing songs, it's very easy to get two parts. Okay. But you need the third part, you know, or you need the change or you need the turnaround. You need that, uh, you need that third degree to make the triangle. Right. And that's what we were very good at, you know, finishing each other's songs. So really, really thankful about that. In the Soul City Suicides, like we which is a dangerous name to put in Seoul, by the way, because uh, it's a very tragic thing, but South Korea has one of the highest suicide rates in, in the world. Yeah. Suicide is the leading cause of death for South Korean children. It comes from educational uh, pressures placed on them. It's, it's, it features in all their movies and dramas. It, it's very interesting that the protagonists of a lot of South Korean media, they commit suicide at the end. And, you know, coming from a Western perspective, you don't, expect that because the the good guy the protagonist wins at the end he gets the girl where he kisses and the stars and stripes comes down and it's all great but in korean ones the good guys often commit suicide and uh that was chad came up with that name the soul city suicides it's a great name it sounds like a baseball team or a basketball team it's got that alliteration exactly that's what i was thinking the alliteration part gets gets you there and yeah. you don't you don't forget it but the the kind of deeper subcontext to the name and as you just eloquently described there these kind of cultural things that uh for many in the west we don't know about yeah but that's that's the kind of punk attitude that's what music's meant to be you're meant to or what comedy's meant to be you're meant to go and explore the things that 
are often left unsaid in real life or are often avoided. You know, you, it's meant to be a release. It's meant to be a form of expression. And so, you know, I, I think doing that, we were breaking some taboos because you don't talk about it in South Korean society. So breaking some taboos in saying that, but that's not to say the music was necessarily morbid or, or downbeat. You know, it, it was always very much about uh, having a party. You know, that was the sure. goal. It's rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we did the thing. I, I spoke a little bit earlier about the look, but we played all our shirts in, in all our shirts. We played all our, all our shows in white shirts and black ties. And, you know, we did that standard thing. But then people started knowing who we were. You know, it's very easy to be four guys that just walk into a bar and are they playing? They're in shorts and T-shirts. You know, sure. what's going on here? But we, we crafted a, a distinctive look for ourselves. You know, we were three, three very different guys, um, but we, we crafted a look for ourselves. And I think that was, really, uh, that was really effective at getting people to remember us and getting that name. And it really pushed us along, gave us a bit of a, a boost. Did you do much record or much in the way of recording uh, LPs or CDs or? Yeah, yeah. With the suicides, we've got one fully released album, which is eight tracks. I think that got a bit of play on the the radio. We got some reviews in a magazine. Um, I think it's online somewhere. It might be a band camp or something like that. But we've got that. Uh, we also did some recording for a compilation. There was a compilation released called us and them or it was called them and us I, I i forget which way around it was but we had to record one of our own songs and then a cover so all the like there was a whole bunch of bands in seoul got together and do this and i think we were one of the only foreign bands so it was a whole uh, lot of korean bands okay i was going to ask was it a mixed thing between locals and expats or mostly predominantly korean? koreans uh scar sucks were on there you know great scar band uh, different bands were on there, but we went on there and we did a, we recorded one of our songs, Heart Attack Jack, which was just like this uh, three minute punk blistering attack on a B chord. And then we did a cover of a band called Caius, which not many people, uh, I'm not sure many people are keen or know about Caius, but they were a kind of a, a rock band from california the desert uh yeah it's like guitarist in that was the joshua tree type place on mojave desert or somewhere isn't it it's... yeah 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 but it's uh but not not you too joshua tree but like no. josh homie so josh homie's oh yeah okay That's, this is where i'm getting josh from i'm good what is it yeah josh yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go there you go yeah. josh homie of uh, queens of the stone age and he did them crooked vultures with uh uh john paul jones and dave Grohl. his first band when he was like in his young 20s was called caius and they released something Me, last year, no? Caius? Mm. No. Or recently? No, no, no. They've, no, no they, some of the members started touring again a bit, but the Desert Sessions released something last year. Is that what it was? Okay, yeah. Desert Sessions. He had Billy Gibbons in there doing stuff, and uh, right. some of those uh, Desert Sessions are classic. But Caius is a band. It, it, they were like the, they're called the Godfathers of Stoner Rock. They don't like being called Stoner Rock, but Stoner Rock didn't invent, wasn't invented when they were playing, but this kind of real bass-heavy type of classic rock from the desert. Me, Chad, and Ray, the three members of the Suicides, we all liked that band. That was like the kind of one unifying thing that we could agree on. We all liked the Ramones, of course, as well, right. you know. Um, but we all liked Caius, and that was kind of a unique thing for three people to like Caius. So we did one of our originals, and then we did a cover of Caius's love has passed me by 
Um, both of those are online and available YouTubes and, and things like that. We've also got a whole host of recorded songs that we're sitting on. Uh, I, I'm not sure why we're sitting on, but like we wrote some really good songs and, and they're sitting there kind of produced and mixed and uh, they're ready to go. And, you know, Chad, Chad has been like, well, we'll find a time for it. I don't know if I've got to play him at his funeral or something. Like that. <laughs> I'm not sure what he's, what he's like. Might be, might, might be my funeral. He's a healthy yeah. guy. We'll see. Because weirdly enough, I read a story last week that uh, it was uh, a bit unrelated musically anyway, but it was Dolly yeah. Parton says she's recorded a whole bunch of music for when she, uh, you know, when it's her time to go. Uh, yeah. So there's this kind of pos- posthumous, posthumous releases. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. Maybe they might even call that as a session. You know, I don't know. But uh, well, fingers crossed, David doesn't come to that. You know, hopefully you can. No, no, that was that was said very kind of tongue in cheek. You know, but that's that's where it goes. You get people not Dolly Parton talking about like, like posthumous releases. I think when you're young, every kind of kid thinks about what song they want played at their funeral or something like that. I don't know if you ever had that when you were 15 or 20 or something like that. I certainly did. Oh yeah, man, it's so deep. I want this song played at my funeral. But now even you get like people like Whitney Houston or Tupac doing gigs at festivals, don't you? You yes. get holograms and the stuff, holograms, right? Yeah. I, I, believe yes. Queen, I believe Queen or what's left of Queen are, are in uh, your hometown tonight. Yeah, absolutely. They are, yes. And They're of course, here. there's only two of them left, right? Well, there's three <laughs> of us, you know, so I'm like, how was that? Like, of course, John Deacon, the bass player, is uh, he just can't be asked. But uh, Yeah, that's there was a story about like, Boney M. You remember Boney M? Even generally, there's still a thing, man. Yeah, there. Well, that's the thing. I heard there was like five different Boney M's going, and none of them have got <laughs> the original members anymore. It's a bit like the Temptations or something, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, getting back to that, we've got um, some nice suicide songs sitting around. They'll probably see the light of day soon, I think, because, you know, I was, I was going to send you some for this, but. They'll come out soon. That's a good time to take a pause. When we come back, we'll have a look at uh, what you're up to next musically. Absolutely. Cool. Sounds good. So David, uh, moving things to the present day, how are how are you fixed musically? What's on your uh, what's on your musical plate just now? Musical plate right now. So uh, I'm in a band called Tampa's Dusk. It's a weird name, like Tampa, the place in America. Mm-hmm. Dusk, the uh, the thing that's the opposite of dawn, I guess you would say. Tampa's Dusk. It's a weird name. I told you I come up with weird band names but um i've been the band leader i started tampa's dusk in about 2012 and so we're, we're eight years into tampa's dusk and uh we've been playing we're an original band we've been playing some great shows some good festivals recently uh we've had a lot of good stuff with that and we're in the studio recording if you can believe it after eight years our first album so it's keeping me busy at the moment what is it they say some things are worth waiting for then eh? yeah that's that's it that's it you know they say there's there's the other saying that you have like your whole life to write your first album and only six months to write your (laughs) your second one right so i'm worried about the second one well the difficult second album might be easier (laughs) 
that that's what I'm that's what I'm planning on, Craig. That's it. It's all about finding the time and the moment, and when the time is right, then it's uh, it'll be a gore, I'm sure. Well, well, that's the thing as as well because you get older and then you get more commitments in your life. You know, not being a uh, you know a full time professional musician, we can't wake up and go into an, a, man, a mansion in the LA Hills like Red Hot Chili Peppers and sit around for six months and make an album. You know, it, life doesn't work like that. So. As, as you get a little, little bit older and get more responsibilities, uh, you have more balls to juggle, I think. And so perhaps that's a little bit why the eight years. Why don't we take uh, this opportunity to, uh, to listen to one of Tampa's this songs? Would you like to introduce the, the song we're going to hear? Yeah, sure. So um, this song we'll play for you. This is called A Better Yesterday. And uh, it's one of our, our singer's favorite songs. We wrote this song in about 30 minutes you know some songs you just spend months and all that crafting this song we wrote in about 30 minutes and it it almost wrote itself i i had the guitar parts and as soon as we got that line a better yesterday in his melody his his vocal hook just it, it just came together like that and so uh it's a song that that means a lot to us it's been one of our songs that we've had for the whole eight years so uh like sharing it this is a, a version we performed on TBS radio out here in Seoul. And uh, yeah, I, I, th I think it sounds great. Interested to hear what you think of it. Great, let's take a listen. This is a Tampa's Dusk and a Better Yesterday. One, two, three, four. <laughs> Write a better yesterday For the ghosts here today How we dream a better yesterday Now that your heroes have all gone away Yes, out of hand The world's dying Yeah, no denying It's time we all pay Hey, we made up lies just to say that we need and change here today Wow, forget all the signs along the way You write yourself out of the play But here today we dream a better yesterday For the ghosts here today Dream a better yesterday Now that your heroes have all gone away Things have to change That's right Yeah And we'll remember All the things you said and done Yes, we will, yeah And we made up lies Just to say that we need Change it today Yeah, forget all the signs along the way You write yourself out of the play But here today We dream a better yesterday For the ghosts of today How we dream a better yesterday 
Now that your heroes have all gone away How we can remember what you said Yeah, must remember, yeah We'll remember, but we'll never understand That's right Yeah, we'll remember what you said That's right We'll remember, must remember But we'll never understand David, was the, before we were talking about the kind of cultural aspect of music and you know living abroad and being an expat and so on yeah before we we before we started recording we were talking about some of the the concerts that you've done recently with the band would you like to share those details with us yeah sure so um recently we played at a my first time i, I played a lot of festivals around the country different places but uh in 2019 summer, so about six months ago, we played a beach festival, which was great. I'd not played a beach festival before. So uh, on the east coast of South Korea, uh, Gyeongpo-de, uh, they had this beach and beer festival, these bands coming down, and it was, it was a stage set up right there on the beach. And uh, so we were, really, we were really pleased and happy to be able to go over there and play that. And that was fantastic, playing a beach festival, because you were playing to a whole new audience you know you had all the the young and the old and all these people walking around and you know trying to work out what to make of these five weird foreign guys that were standing <laughs> on their beat making an awful lot of racket because the music that we play is not the music that south koreans would normally have in a social situation right there might be sort of k-pop which is you know the nation's music or there might be a soft ballad or jazz but you don't often hear much rock or guitar driven music in South Korean society. So to be able to go on a beach and uh, play that to the people, that was fantastic. Um, following that about two months ago, there was a kind of like a nationwide competition, the, uh, to compose a, an original rendition of the Korean folk song, Arirang. Now, Arirang is a, a song well-known in Korea, and it's interesting because both North Korea and South Korea, it's their national song. I don't mean it's their national anthem, but it's, it's right. a song that they both play and feature in their events. You have the uh, Arirang Mass Games uh, and things in North Korea. So Arirang is a song that is really uh, embedded into Korean culture. And... The, the lyrics of Arirang are, are very sad. Of course, there are hundreds of different versions of this folk song, but the main version goes down one of two ways. It's uh, two lovers that have been separated by a river uh, and they can't get to each other. So it's, it's a very sad story. In the other main version, the man tries to cross the river to get to his love, but drowns along the way. And so this is the, this is the story of Korea, right? And that's, that's embedded in their music. So there was a competition to do a rendition of this song and uh, a lot of different musical acts got together and, and, and performed this. I saw some great versions. Um, Seth Mountain is an artist over here. He plays banjo and acoustic guitar. He did a fabulous banjo-driven thing of this. Um, was Zoe he, did he, was, a, he was using the, he was singing in, in Korean, yeah? Yeah, he was singing. Yeah, so everybody I saw 
was doing this in Korean, but Seth was playing banjo and singing it in Korean on his rooftop amongst the plants. There was a, a version by Love X Stereo, uh, who are a two-piece electro-pop outfit. And they've done very well for themselves playing festivals, getting a lot of airplay. Um, and so there, was, uh, there were jazz renditions. There were electro-pop renditions. Um, I, I sat down for quite a long time trying to get this rendition, and I got a a unique version of Arirang called Jindo Arirang from a different region because everyone was doing the same version and it was hard to do something different with it. It was so well known, you know, it was, you, you get Hendrix and the Star Spangled Banner. Right. It's, it, it's, it's been done, you know, you can't go anywhere else with the Star Spangled Banner. It, it, it's kind of that. And so I found this uh, more rural version of the song called Jindo Arirang, which is still well known, but not the main one. And from that, I think I wrote about five or six different versions on my acoustic guitar. And I remember my bandmates kind of laughed at the first two or three of them because, you know, I was getting somewhere. Um, but in the end, you know, we've, we've helped from them, of course, but with a lot of perseverance, put together this version that was um, traditional. Uh, you know, had kind of weird seven, eight timing and things, which is the more Korean way. Yeah. But then it had uh, an outbreak of, you know, riff of guitar of here we go. Let's, you know, let's hit it. Let's, let's put the pedal to the metal. So it had that. And I thought, well, that's nice. That combines the two elements, what I want. Um, so with the help of some good friends, Becky White, she's a, she's a model over here. And she, she came and filmed us performing that in the studio we sent that in and then the organizers of a big festival, this Arirang festival in Seoul, South Korea, um, they had a huge stage in the middle of Gwangamun. Now, Gwangamun, if you've ever seen uh, images of Seoul, South Korea, where they have the big protests, you might've seen sort of hundreds of thousands of people lining the streets when they impeach the president uh, recently or during World Cup times, you know, very powerful images. Uh, we got to play there in that location. So there's Fantastic. a big stage right up. In, yeah, it was big. And um, that was where the concert was. And they said, your version of Jindo Arirang is great. You can play. You you win, essentially. And, you know, that was a that was a huge boost to get that, you know, because you go from playing bars and clubs and things like this and, you know, working hard and, and doing your thing. And then all of a sudden, uh, from amongst it all, they say, that's the version that we want people of Korea in this festival to hear so that was a really nice shot in the arm to be able to play that festival there were some big acts on the bill dynamic duo were up there a really famous hip-hop act and a band called dick punks which is an interesting <laughs> that's, that's what they're called they're called dick punks is this and, with the uh, ck or just the k i'm not really sure no ck but oh. they're neither of those two things let me tell you <laughs> <laughs> they're very nice chaps and they're not punks <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe we put a link to this in the show notes then as well yeah, yeah. so but that's what we've been doing recently a couple of big festivals and you know you can see footage of that it was nice to be up on a big stage with uh wireless mics and all these kind of things running around with the lights monitors that work monitors that work <laughs> we had smoke there were smoke machines man but no, but no bubbles there weren't bubbles, no. Oh, there weren't bubbles. Okay. When I when I got married, this was the this was the thing back in two thousand two. You know, it was uh, yeah. I was either a smoke machine or a, a machine that yeah. let go of bubbles, and that was my only thing. I just said, yeah, I'll do whatever I have to do, but no bubbles. But of course, that's there was bubbles. 
there were bubbles. I was Let very there be bubbles. disappointed. Welcome I got back. married in two. I got so married you, in two thousand twelve. There was one hmm. thing that I said I wasn't going to have. And if you know Korean weddings well, can you guess what it might have been, Craig? Oh, uh, go on. Put you on the spot. Yeah. White gloves. Oh, I didn't do that either because I wore a kilt. Yeah, so. <laughs> Kilton white gloves just does there's something just not right about that, you know. Right, right. They like the white gloves over here. I did, yeah. That's yeah. what I didn't do. People ask these kind of cultural questions. What's the significance of white gloves? And you say, I still don't know. After 17 years living there, I never really asked. It's so your hands don't get dirty touching the bubbles, mate. I think that's what it is, <laughs> mate. <laughs> this is as good a point as any to have a listen to the song Jindo Arirang. David, would you like to set it up for us? Yeah, so I, I, I've spoken a lot about it. It's a traditional song, but we're trying to do our own version of it, our own rendition that, that creates a feeling of sadness, but then also an element of hope. So you've got this dichotomy between something very tragic, but then something also that somewhere in there, there's an element of hope. And I'd also give some props to our singer, Andrew, because he sang this whole thing in Korean. Which is, which is not easy to do. And when we performed it live, you know, there are some videos taken from the crowd that when they hear him singing this in Korean, you know, you get this, oh, like, <laughs> All right, okay. You know, you hear these voices going like that. And so it's like, yeah, he did a good job at this. So well done, our singer, for, for getting this. this is our version of the traditional Korean folk song, Arirang, but this is the Tampa's Dusk version. Tampa's Dusk, Jindo Arirang.
Introduce the members of the band. Where they're from? What the, yeah. the rest of the you know your plans for the rest of the year? Sure. So um, I started in Tampa's Dusk with the singer. So like I said from the outset, this is what I do. I find somebody to front or sing a band. This is a good friend of mine called Andrew Paris, and uh, he'd been screaming at me to start a band for years. Right? Seeing me in the other bands, he, he kept coming up to me, man, I can sing, man, I can do it, man, I've got the voice. And he's loud, he's got a voice, right? And he, he's got his long hair and we he's- We should say uh, he's not the Robert Plant character from before. He's, uh, he's a complete different- Yeah, but he looks, he, <laughs> he's, he, he's got this, he, he had this hippie long hair down to his shoulders as well. And he was like, I can do it, man. And so one day I just said to him, I'm ready to do it. And he was like, what? I'm ready to do the band. and. Andro's been in South Korea for over two decades, I think, you know, and uh, he's, he's in his forties now. And this is his first band. Like no one, had, you know, I think he'd wanted to do stuff and, and get out, but I decided, you know, like, it was kind of like what Chad did to me, I guess, but I was like, Let, let's do it. Right? Me and you, we're going to do this band. So Andro Paris is the, is is the front man he's the uh he's the image he does all our artwork um he's very good with photoshop and art and things like that he creates these very psychedelic images if you check us out online you might see these kind of logos and uh designs that's all done by him so he's very much the visual uh the visual brains behind tampa's dusk and that's always been his role of course he he writes a lot of the lyrics as well we do that together but he writes some good lyrics um he wears bright red leather pvc <laughs> pants a lot i don't know if you've seen them right they're, they're kind of a a unique thing but if you're going to be a front man you've got to wear some red plastic pants trousers and, and that's what he does <laughs> yeah especially on a Saturday, but that's what he does. So um, me and him, and we also do things, I should just say very briefly, Andrew and I, we do things like acoustically and, and you know, 
we've written a lot of songs sort of together outside of the band. So uh, Andrew Paris is the front man. On drums, we have Zach Barden. Now, Zach is a, a legend of the South Korean music scene because not only has he played in a whole host of bands and, and, and played, he, he plays every instrument. And so one night of the week, he'll be doing a jazz bar playing piano. And then another night of the week, he might be playing uh, acoustic guitar somewhere. Um, he, he plays saxophone. Uh, he plays upmarket gigs where he has to wear tuxedos and hats. And, <laughs> uh, and then at the weekends, he, uh, he puts on his T-shirt and he plays drums for Tampa's <laughs> Dusk. And it, it's really interesting because he's essentially classically trained. That was his degree. And, okay. uh, he knows music inside out. Like, I'll show him my chords with my fingers. Like, I, there's this kind of, my fingers are here and here and here. And he'll say, move one finger back one fret and that one up one fret. And I was like, that's a new chord. Excellent. <laughs> He doesn't describe these things to me in like it's a diminished sixth or something like that. But ah, he, for most of us, it doesn't really mean much. Yeah, it's just one yeah. fret, one uh, string up, and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, right. But that's the drama, and that's a really interesting thing because you know a lot of the time you're a drummer yourself, Craig. But a lot of the time, the drummer is the steady backbeat. You know, it keeps things there, and it's it's almost kind of simplistic. But with Zach in our band. He has this kind of, he plays open hand and he wants to play in weird timings and he wants to do roles and he, you know, I, Zach hit the two and the four really hard and he's like, <laughs> yeah, no, David. Right. <laughs> so, so he, he's great with that, but he's also great with song arrangements, you know, because oh. he, he's a music producer. He plays drums. Uh, on on bass, we have one of your countrymen, Dan McLaughlin. No, they let um, more than one of us in. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, one at a time. It's in out, I think, right? It's like a Weatherspoon's pub, uh, <laughs> one in, one out. Um, but we were saying before we started recording, he looks a bit like Charles Bronson. He's got the big sort of bald head and the beard down. But he's a he's a fantastic bass player. I'm so happy to see him play everything with his fingers half the time. He does the backups, vocals on on lead guitar. Now I was the only guitarist in Tampa's Dusk for the seven years uh, basically and then we got this guitarist thing called john saniella we call him the italian for obvious reasons mm. sometimes we call him spaghetti um <laughs> but he's you know he plays jazz essentially that's what he plays and so we thought wouldn't it be fun to get this guy that plays jazz you know he sits around at home with his guitar in this kind of upright position right. you know like on the old jazz videos on youtube yeah. doing these weird runs and licks that's what he does and i was like get a guitar strap and stand up and plug into this and let's see what happens. And uh, it's been really interesting putting all these styles together. So, so we're a five piece and it's fun working with those guys. Does, uh, does the other guitar player, John, does he take more of the lead duties or do you share it with him or is it a bit we, more improvisational from him? He, he never plays the same thing twice. Okay. You know, I've written a, he every time he plays a solo it's completely different and that's great it's going to be fun when it's going to be fun now we're recording you know because he's got to work out what he's going to play we started off kind of trading off because i'd been playing the solos and all the lead for so long you know i was just used to it and eventually i had to realize to 
it makes more sense, you know. I'll, I'll step back and let the player play and, and, and we'll go like that. I still get my moments for riffs, but he's the lead player and I'm the rhythm player. That's that's how we handle that. I think that division of labor is pretty clear and it's much easier with guitar settings and, and, and what's going on, you know. So rhythm and lead, that classic style. And uh, as we were saying there, so you have a mixture of nationalities, uh, half of you from the UK and the other half from the US or? Yeah, two, two British and three American. Um, but it, it's not nationality that mixes so much. I, I think it's personalities and music taste, which is really different. Yeah. None of us five listen to really the same music. You know, we, we kind of get into each other's music. And of course, there are um, crossovers and things like that. but. I said it a bit earlier, we don't listen to the same music in our downtime. You know, that's very rare. And I think that's a great thing because then when we get together, this thing that we create is an amalgamation. It's a melting pot of so many different things. And, you know, people ask, what kind of genre do you play? And it's not punk and it's not funk and it's not rock. You know, it's weird. I'm not saying it's weird and that it's like, you know. It's inaccessible or it's, you know, it's obscure or it's just. It's it's not inaccessible or obscure, but do you know what I mean? It's just like sometimes, you know, the Clash were a punk band, but you listen to some Clash songs and they don't sound punk, do they? Definitely not, no. Yeah, or I guess the Stones and things like that. I'm not trying to compare us to those bands, but just reaching for something where um, putting those five together, nationality doesn't, us five, nationality doesn't matter, but it's more uh, different musical tastes. And I I think that's so, so cool, man, because I learn a a lot about all this other different music. I don't need anyone to tell me about Caius or things like that. I know it. (laughs) If Zach wants to tell me about Sheena Ringo, great. If Dan wants to tell me about uh, the Manic Street Preachers, I'm all about it. And uh, if John wants to tell me about, you know, his guitar players, yeah, man, it's good. It's a learning learning curve still. Uh, that's perfect what music should be. It's about sharing and uh, whatever kind of way you do it, whether you just record it or you play it live or you just jam in your room with your buddies. Yeah. It's all about just sharing these kind of things. Yeah, That's essentially what music is, for me anyway. Right. Completely agree, mate. Completely agree. Was there a, can I go back to the expat angle? Uh, the other guys in the band, they are also working full time. Yeah, everybody works. Everybody's got to pay the bills. You know, we all do slightly different things, but, you know, getting together for practices, you know, we, we all have to say, this is our night. This is the Tampa's dusk night, you know, and that, that goes in all our diaries. So that's what we have to do. But we all work doing various things. Uh, some voice actors, some are teaching, doing writing and, and things like that. So we all work. We're all professional but it's about making the time for the band and uh, pleased to say that we've got that commitment because it's not easy right you get five people in their 30s and 40s and they've got all their lives going off in different directions so keeping that thing together if you're a bloke you need you need a group of boys around you you know so uh, it's it's fun you know music isn't it's not a job it's not work music has to be fun and so really happy that whatever Tampa's Dusk is, whatever we're doing with these concerts, festivals, uh, albums, it's got to be fun and it's got to be people that I want to play with. Well said, because uh, in, in this sense, it's a bit like a marriage. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> the wives could testify to that. I think they in, all can, yeah. In many ways, you're dealing with different egos and different, uh, yeah, you know, everyone has a different point of view or they all need to be heard and it's, yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. But when you don't have a lot of these 
problems in a band, you can just get up and play. And Sure. But when you get good musicians as well, you do get big characters, big egos and, you know, personalities like that, that take some managing. So, you know, that is, that is half the battle. Uh, our wives seem to be doing a good job of keeping us all in check at the moment. <laughs> here, here to that. <laughs> yes. Maybe last question, Dave. How about the, the rest of the year? What do you have in store for the band? Well, on the back of the big festival we played, we're now going to go into the studio and, and, and do that recording. So we're sort of, we're planning to record it live, essentially, separate the tracks, but we're going to stand in there as a five piece. Uh, there's a very popular and, and, well-respected studio here in Seoul, uh, managed and run by Brad Wheeler. He's done a lot of good acts in there. So uh, we're in going in there and our plan is to put down 12, maybe 13 original tracks, get that out. And then we should be on for the festival scene in the summer. That's the plan with a, with an album behind us. So that's what we're doing. And where can the Brick and the listeners hear some of these tracks that are already you've already laid them down or some older songs or your social media? Sure, sure, sure. So, um, yeah, we've got lots of stuff online, videos and, uh, and concert footage and uh, sounds and things like that. You can find it, Tampa's Dusk, which is T-A-M-P-A-S space D-U-S-K. We have a YouTube channel. We have an Instagram. We have a Facebook. Uh, there might be a SoundCloud as well under my name, David Tizard, but... You go on to any of those social media things, especially YouTube, and you'll find our YouTube channel, uh, original songs and uh, festival performances on there. Excellent. And we can also see the we can also see that the most recent one from uh, from last year, yeah, and the Guangamans. Yeah, the beach ones and the Guangamans all up there. Yeah. Excellent. We shall link all those in the show notes. Last thing for you, Dave. We haven't prepared this, so this is going to be straight off the bat. I have a top five question. <laughs> Top five top questionnaire five. for you, right? There are no particular okay. order. So just I'll go for it and see where we end up. Yeah. And this is the first I'm hearing of this, by the way. Craig. You've <laughs> so had this secret from me. A bit yeah. sneaky of me, I know. So yes. tell us the best band we've not heard of. But I think we talked about that, this earlier. Well, I said it spontaneously, didn't I? Because yeah. this is it. The best band you've never heard. The best band you've never heard is Sonic's Rendezvous Band. Sonic's Rendezvous Band, I only released one song, but the A side and the B side is exactly the same, and it's called City Slang. As my favorite guitarist, Fred Sonic Smith on guitar, he was from the MC5, uh, Scott Morgan, um, and Scott Ashton, the drummer from the Stooges. Just just don't worry about Tampa's Dusk, right? I told you about that. <laughs> go, online, go online and listen to Sonic's Rendezvous Band. Listen to Fred Sonic Smith's guitar and, and listen to City Slang. That's it. Fantastic. How about a guilty pleasure, a band or artist that you shouldn't like, but you do? Guilty pleasure, a band or artist that you shouldn't like, but you do. Um, uh, just very spontaneously, I'm going to say the Fine Young Cannibals. Oh, it's not a bad I job. I don't know what. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you ask me a different day, it might be someone else. But, <laughs> but you know, good things drives me crazy. Like, <laughs> they're good dogs, man. Like, Roland like Gift. Roland Gift was the, the vocalist. Yeah, the other guys, I don't know their names. But Roland Gift had this very, very unique voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great voice. And, you know, you don't go to like a rock and roll practice and go, find your cannibals. <laughs> but <laughs> that's a guilty pleasure, I'll say that. It's not bad at all. They had a kind of weird dance routine thing going on as well in the videos. Yeah, around man. Yeah, bendy yeah, legs yeah, and all that kind of stuff. Was it Johnny Come Home? What was it? Yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not the man I used to be. 
<laughs> literally <laughs> and literally and metaphorically. Yeah, yeah. The the third question I have written down is the best venue you've played at, home or abroad, or both? Best venue I've played at, I saw a photo today and it's closing down. The venue is Woodstock and some people I know, including you, I'm not sure your opinion on Woodstock because I know you've played it, Craig, but um, might be different from a guitarist or a drummer, but Woodstock in Itaewon, Seoul, South Korea is probably the best venue I've ever played because it was the testing ground for a band. If you thought you were a band, uh, you had to walk in this place, right? The, the, the walls were thick with cigarette. There was carpet on the floor that hadn't been cleaned for weeks. There was... I think it was just been quite generous. Yeah, no, no, weeks. I, I should say probably decades, right? It was, <laughs> it was a place, but you'd walk in there and no one would set anything up for you. You you had to go in there and handle everything. And if you could do that, and if you could rock Woodstock, you got free beers and drinks, whatever you wanted all night. You got a handful of cash and you got the respect of a certain community to be able to play that place. Because I saw many bands go in there and they couldn't do it. You no. know, so it is a hard place. So for me, Woodstock and Ito one, it was a testing ground. I love and respect Mr. Mr. Ooh, sadly passed away. Um, but yeah, that's going. So yeah, that, that was an end, of, an end of an, an, an end of an era. Definitely. I wrote a tribute for him in the newspaper uh, when he passed away and I got messages from all over the world. People yeah. that had left uh, soul and said, you know, that was a, that was a nice message. So he touched a lot of people. So Mr. Wu's Woodstock, best venue. Excellent. Great choice. Uh, what's your go-to karaoke tune? Or nori bang if we're, <laughs> using, if we're using the Korean. <laughs> wow, my go-to karaoke tune. It is Johnny Be Good by Chuck Berry. Because I just I just love it. You know, it's uh it's it's pretty simple, which is important for me. It's pretty short, which is also important because you want to get back to drinking and things like that. <laughs> but it, it just makes me laugh when I hear the karaoke kind of like digital version. Uh, it's just yeah, Chuck Berry. Johnny Be Good is my karaoke song. My number 18. Excellent. Good choice. Your ultimate rock trio. <laughs> my ultimate rock trio. Uh, so this is a three-piece band, right? Or just yeah. a rock trio. I mean, it's a um, bit like my, if you use the football analogy, you could be in the team or not, right? It's, uh, yeah, yeah. it's up to you. It sounds a bit like Jamie Carragher's podcast. Um, I will go with uh, Bob the Boom Bennett on drums. I mentioned him earlier from the Sonics. Uh, I'm going to go with, I'm going to be weird and I'm going to go with James Hetfield from Metallica on rhythm guitar. And then I'm going to go with uh, Mike Patton on keyboard and vocals because I think it would be weird. Excellent lineup. And it would be yeah. very, very loud. I think that's all. It, that's all it <laughs> You're getting what I like, right? So yeah, Bob the Boom, Bennett, Hetfield and Mike Patton. That's it. Yeah. If it's going to be rock and roll, it's as well being played loud. If it's if it's as well being played at all, eh? yeah. And I don't think anyone else, when you ask them, is going to say that lineup. <laughs> That's kind of important as well, right? David, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Thanks. Yes, for sharing, Thanks for sharing, uh, you know, sharing your time and everything about the band and so on. As I said, I'll link all the a lot of the things about the band, uh, some clips and whatnot. And if we can, if I can find the the tribute to Mr. Wu as well, I will add that to the show notes too, because yeah, it was very, very well said and poignantly written. Excellent. Thank, thanks for your time. And it's, it's been great, like going over some of these memories and just essentially talking about music though, Craig. That's the best thing about this, right? It's the next best thing to doing it. 
Yes, completely agree. <laughs> David, all the best. Thanks very much. Thanks, Craig. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye. So we made it to the end of the first episode of Can't Find My Way Home. I'd like to thank David Tizard for taking the time out of his day to join me. I had a really great time doing it. We had a lot to talk about and there's plenty more where that came from. Uh, hopefully David can come back on the podcast and we can cover some of the many other things about living a life as an expat in Seoul, South Korea or music in general. Who knows? We'll see where that takes us. So where can you find out more about the podcast? Can't Find My Way Home. You can find us on Facebook at Expat Music Pod. That's all one word. Or you can simply search for Can't Find My Way Home. You can also find us on Instagram at can't.findmywayhome. The last place you can find us for now is on a website called anchor.fm. You can simply search for Can't Find My Way Home. All one word. When you go there, you can download the podcast, you can listen to it, you'll get all the show notes there, you can find out more about us. Of course, you can also leave comments there and uh, messages, you can subscribe, and please feel free to leave us a comment. I'd really like to hear some some of your thoughts and feedback on, uh, on this first episode, what you thought of it, maybe some room for improvement, maybe some subjects you'd like to add, maybe you'd like to be a guest on the show yourself. So... We'll be back soon with another episode, but for now, this is Craig saying, see you later. Cheers.